Hello, everybody. We've got an update for you here at the pod. As all podcasters dream, we are rebranding after our first episode. We ran into some trouble with Apple because they're a, you know, a difficult company. And we are now changing our title to a more fitting one, The Princes of Cinema. I think it's a great title. Not because it's true, but because I want to live up to it. It's more aspirational. You know, Hot Hot Hollywood was fun, but it's sort of a satire that was very thin. And this one is just, I love the bombast. Yeah, the last one was a joke about we're like a cheap film magazine. Um, Slightly misleading, not worth going with for the long run. I think this one is, um, you know, I don't wake up every morning and feel like a prince or a prince of cinema. But if I become one, Mm. being on this show, I think it's going to be great. (laughs) We are the Scorsese and Tarantinos. We might even... Wait until episode three. We might be... uh, I don't even know. We're we're like Tom Glavin or Greg Maddox. We've got like three or four pitches. You don't know what's coming (laughs) at you. We're talking 1990s Atlanta Braves. That's how complicated this podcast has already gotten. And you know what? If we change it one more time, we'll all be closing up like John Smoltz. Wow, you followed. That's good. (laughs) You know, luckily I know three Braves pitchers from the 90s. Fred McGriff, you remember him, the crime dog? Crime dog. I miss the guy. Chipper Jones, Andrew Jones. I don't know. We don't have to talk about this. Uh, Emily Kanders did uh, Chipper Jones' book. Is that right? That's right. All right. Should we get started? I'm ready when you are. Today we will be discussing The Rules of the Game by Jean Renoir. So, should we do a little background on this film? Yeah, I need some background because... You know, you've done your research. I'm a purist sometimes. I just watch pure film. I know not actually I know I know enough that Jean Renoir is the son of the painter, Auguste Renoir. Correct. Give me a little more educate me. I am here to All learn. Right. I'm gonna give you some very basics here. Nineteen thirty nine French comedy drama. It's kind of a satire, comedy of manners, uh takes place in the high society of of uh, Parisian and then like countryside life in, in France. Basically set on the brink of World War II, Renoir is coming from a bit of a leftist communist perspective and he's criticizing the largely right-wing pseudo-fascist uh, uh, upper class in France. And one of the interesting things about this film is after it premiered, it was booed and hated uh, the idea being that the French do not like to be made fun of. And Oh, really? Someone tried to burn down the theater. They, they hated it. Um, and there was a lot of 
edits made to the film in subsequent years after it was released. So it must have been a little bit true. I mean, it was making yeah. fun of them, but it was by exaggeration. But they there's re- a lot of things. Yeah. Wow. Um, can the, I ask you a brief thing yeah. too? Why you just because we're in the subject of the French in Paris? I remember when you were studying uh, with Notre Dame's Rome program. You took a trip mm-hmm. to Paris. One of the I don't remember much of what you did that semester because we were obviously in Europe, different semesters. I do remember though you taking up cigarettes in Paris. That was like a thing, right? <laughs> I did. I bought a pack of cigarettes. It's like a Paris. French thing to do. I'm just saying what's on my mind. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of smoking in this film. Yeah, and yeah, I noticed that. I was like, wow, to so smoke wait, outside the Eiffel Tower like a true Parisian again. Trying. I think you're trying. Hold on. So you were just there recently, too, Paris, right? Yeah, I went in October. I mean, obviously, none of us have like insight into this time period personally. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm, I'm kind of limited in commenting on the French. But w- what was the deal like? So Renoir, like his father was respected, right? They lived like, I think in the south of France, his father is a painter, like impressionist. Is that right? Am I off? I believe so. Yeah. Um, yeah, his father is a very famous painter. I know that he was, it was the late 1800s, early 1900s. So he is within that world. But honestly, don't think I can speak much to that. But his children got into film, like, I, I did read at least enough that Jean Renoir, the director and actor in this movie, he had two other brothers, I guess, that also were actors, but he was kind of, the, it's just interesting that, that, it seems to me that's the advent of a sort of new medium where their father was a painter, it's a very artistic family, but instead they go into not painting, but film. And I'm not trying to read into that, but it's it's also kind of a sign of the times, you know. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that makes sense to me where you would have this new medium. And it's also a visual one. And one of the things that I saw in reading about this was some of the uh, visual techniques in this film were unique or revolutionary, Hmm. especially the use of deep focus. Basically, a lot of the shots throughout the film are set up so that you can see very far into the background. You can see characters entering and exiting. It almost has the feel of a farcical play in the way that it's set up. And then the camera is moving and dancing throughout. And maybe we get into more of the detail of the film and these kind of techniques will make more sense. Give me one thing too, just because we're commenting, before yeah. we go into detail, You were like, so what do you think is Renoir identifying... Um, like take Fellini we had talked about last time. I don't mean to do a direct comparison every time we go into the next movie, but Fellini's sort of, um, you know, he's he's in the art scene in Italy and he's kind of commenting on their lifestyle, almost like he's self-questioning. Is Jean Renoir doing the same thing? Like he, is he just making fun of his contemporaries? Is he, what's your take on that? I mean, besides the, oh, I want to yeah. go through the plot, you know. Actually, my favorite character is him, Jean Renoir. I think he was not only my favorite character, I think he was also maybe the best actor. I mean, it's hard to compare acting. I just, uh, we could talk about his role. But what, what do you think, like, if it was so booed, you know, yeah. was, was he trying to make too strong a point? 
So I had seen some conflicting things. It seemed like he expected people to like this film, but he was also making fun of these people. And I think he had an especial, especially was geared towards this right wing aspect of French society. There's a number of mentions of race in kind of a tokenistic way and even an anti-Semitic conversation that occurs among the the workers, the, the I guess the servants working at the uh, Robert's mansion. Robert is Jewish, which is something I read and I didn't quite pick that up. I guess there's maybe some context clues. But Robert is a character who's playing the rules of the game very firmly, whether it's through dating or hosting this hunting and gala night. Um, at the Chateau. At the Chateau. I can't even pronounce there. most of these places. I know. Do, but, do, you, do you think, too, um, my last question before we get into things, um, like, especially with those, yeah, there, there seem to be the rich certain stereotypes to me, it just kind of shows a remove, you know, whether it's a commentary on Jewish stuff. There's a commentary, too, where he's of kind of Arabs or Muslims, which is kind of mildly funny, if not just like, again, everything in the film is somewhat exaggerated, where he's struggling, like, to love either his wife or his mistress, and he can't decide. He's like, I wish it was an Arab, you know. You could have a whole oh, harem. Right. Have a whole harem, and the guy's like, oh, definitely. You know, it's kind of like... A lot of these things are just playing on stereotypes, you know. Um, but I think, yeah. I mean, my mindset as a 2020 viewer, not only with vision, but in the year in which we live, is uh, is more just to see, like, that not so much as, well, how does that compare to now? It's more just like, you know, you have to operate on stereotypes if you're just living in your in your loft society, you know. Well, not loft society. That's more of an artist term. It just seems that they're at a remove from most most other people besides themselves, you know. Yeah. And I think there is an interesting way in which Renoir is both making fun of them and himself because apparently he is in a relationship with his editor and the script supervisor simultaneously on this. And they're... Some Wait, of these same jealousies are taking place in also. real life. In real life, that happened. Wow! So yeah. he's so everybody's kind of in what tangled webs we weave, even in movie making. <laughs> That's cool. See, I was waiting for you to reveal bio, bio not bio. Well, that is biological, biographical stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it adds another layer, and it does feel like a big piece of this film is about. The rules of society, especially around dating and mistresses and love and cheating. And there are these bizarre levels where people are allowed to cheat so long as they do it respectfully and everyone's cheating on each other. And the film opens with an aviator sailing across the Atlantic, being interviewed by the news, and then realizing that a married woman who he's in love with doesn't arrive to greet him which isn't clear you might think it was like his girlfriend or fiance that doesn't right. show up but it's like his part-time mistress and he like publicly says like she's not here and everybody's embarrassed like you're supposed to be a hero you know act like <laughs> it which is really funny in a way i mean the whole thing's funny but I, I i guess that's true is like i didn't realize that was their relationship right off the bat in the first scene but it opens with that you know 
yeah. on public display. My mistress didn't show up. It's like, okay. Yeah. Then the film transitions into this Paris mansion. And you see both Robert and Christine, his wife, listening to it. Right. And there's some pretty funny dialogue where they're just, can you be friends with a man? Oh, when pigs fly. Just monster. They also, there's also the rules of the game, like, you know, they're sleeping in, like, separate apartments. Not out of Mm -hmm. coldness. It's just, like, these are the rules of the game if you live in a chateau or whatever, or their mansion. What did you think about, like, I'm just talking characters here. Christine, they keep mentioning, obviously, she's the one that's fought over for the whole movie. Because in the end, Mm -hmm. you have four people who are in love with her. Her husband's still in love with her, Uh even though he won't ditch his mistress. The aviator, Andre's in love with her. Octave, who's Jean Marmar himself, who's like the fun, friendly, older friend, almost kind of, yeah, he's, he's almost like a clown in a way, in that he's like not in the mix he's like the arranger he's arranging for invites he's arranging for you know people meeting up but it's like then it, even her because uh, right there in that first scene you get Lisette Lisette is the what the maid who also her husband accuses her other people accuse her just like are you're married more to your mistress Christine than your own husband you know I love right. how Lisette too I, it just dawned on me towards the end, like, four people are really, like, their whole life is bound to Christine. And yet it's funny in a way because she's she's Austrian originally, right? She's German or... Right. So they, like, and say, And I think like, that was part of it for Renoir because he has a Jewish man married to an Austrian woman. And he writes these characters in 1939, right, as, right at the very... Right before, basically, World War II breaks out. So, even, so to, to the audience, then, it would be much more, like, of a hot suggestion whereas to us it's like all right it's this german woman marrying in so what that goes to show that i as an audience member am just not as tuned in you know even their pairing i was like okay she's german moving on whereas at the time that was like racy i think it's the character of christine is strange to me because so much of the action revolves around her but seemingly throughout the plot you don't know what she wants. She basically just rotates and is in love with whoever is professing to her in that very moment and is ready to run away, but then these rules keep throwing up boundaries. I think part of what it is, like the point of her being Austrian, is that she is not French. She is outside of their society and maybe doesn't totally get it and is thrown into this world. And, you know, there's an early scene with her and Octave who has sort of a more familial relationship with he's like, her. He's like, he's like a brother to everybody, like this older brother. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which I should say, after the original screening, they cut like 25 minutes out of the film in order to take Octave out of it. And Renoir was very embarrassed about his performance, but let's be honest, it was very good. Oh, I think he's, he's my favorite. So... We have this whole scenario where Octave is pulling the strings behind the scene, trying to get Robert to invite, uh, what's his name? Andre. Andre Giroux, the aviator, to come to this big weekend event where they're going to go hunting. I think it's a whole week. Isn't it a whole week at the Chateau? Is that right? Yeah. Which which was itself like hard to think of. I was like, wait, you guys are going to party for a week and have room and board? 
Now, let me, let me ask you this. I mean, because we're on the thing of Octave's interceding to mm-hmm. Robert, and he's basically saying, like, it's your party, come on, invite him, even though he made these comments about your wife on air, about being in love with her. What did you, just because we're on Christine, what did you think of her husband, Robert? Robert has this air of being unaffected by things, this ability to sort of neutralize his responses and go with the flow. There's a charm to him, or maybe it's just a pure suppression of his emotional responses, where he has a mistress, but it's on the tail end, and he is annoyed by her, it seems. Right. And he's threatened by this new guy coming in, but doesn't want to appear that way. So he is going along with this plan. Some of the, some of those things reach, like, as you're saying, he seems like he doesn't want to care. Like, for instance, he eventually at the party, because, of course, he does invite, through Octave's intercession, he invites mm-hmm. Andre. Things are going okay for the time being. Eventually, when they have a fist fight over his wife, it's like they fist fight, but then... He, like, turns around to him. It's, it, there's a lot of about turns. He's just like, you know, I'd, I'd actually, you know, I'd be so happy if you ran off with her. He goes, we could be great friends. It's just kind of weird how there, there's a lot of quick reconciliation. Like, it's fine. Let's just put our differences aside, which I think are part of the farce. It, yes. it, that, that came off to me not as sincere that here's a, here's a, I mean, everybody has a, has a little element of farce. It's like the characters are believable until certain moments. Like, I I think, as you said, his sort of, I can live multiple lives and be perfectly happy and move on, he kind of stereotype. That's like a, a, a sort of a stereotyping of a male. It's like, oh, he's going to lead a double life because he's a male and he can just go and do that. And there's kind of a stereotyping of Christine, too, as like, she is her own character, but she's kind of like, there are these stereotypes that play in like, she's She's a foreign woman, and that, like, draws people to her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's an unfair stereotype of women, but it's like she doesn't know what she wants. It's just she'll, she'll, whoever woos her, she'll follow. All of these are kind of unfair stereotypes, but I, I definitely think it's good to admit that the characters, compared to certain movies where it's more based on realism, the characters are somewhat stereotyped. Here's a quote I took from that early Act 1. She said, love as it exists in society is the combination of two whims and the contact of two skins. So that's sort of setting there. Uh, I noticed that too. It's whim, it's skin, that's all it is. I love too, did you notice how Lizette, I think in three scenes, because Lizette too, even though she's a servant and she's married, she's also running around town with people, with men. Did you notice yeah, too how much she was eating an apple? Like, almost every scene, she's just chewing on this apple with, like, this attitude <laughs> off on the side. And she's fun. I don't, I don't think there's tons fun. of—I don't think there's tons of symbolism, like, you Eve know— Eve or something. Yeah, Eve, Garden of Eden. I just think it's, like, the kind of this, like, in, like, formal situations where she's supposed to be proper, she's just eating an apple to kind of show, like, she breaks the rules, she's fun, she's up for anything. There's just kind of an attitude statement. But constantly, yeah. she's always got an apple in her hand. I found that funny, but... So I think we should go to the chateau now, Let's where go. we really see everything take place. This is where we meet Marceau, this weird poacher guy who seems to be... He's trying to 
get in, he wants to work in the house. It's a dream of his. He's poaching rabbits, but he just wants yeah. a job. And he gets it briefly. And I think that Marceau, as I'm thinking about it, and the servants in general, serve as a mirror of the rich people in this world. And Marceau seems to be the most farcical of them. Sort of a goofy-looking guy. He is the most lascivious, I would say, constantly hounding Lizette. And even in his first scene where we meet him, he's like, oh, Robert understands me. You're Lord. He gets me. He understands how it is. And you can see a mirror between the two of them. And I was thinking throughout the film, Robert has these little contraptions and music boxes that he presents. And there's one scene later where he presents this calliope in a uh, in a play or the show that they have at the end of the night. And just very earlier, there's the same sort of scene where Marceau is presenting this bizarre-looking music doll to right. Lizette. And there, there definitely seems to be a like, upper-class, lower-class mirror where these lower-class people are doing this sort of facsimile of the upper-class, but it is grotesque in either way. It's like it's like a little bit of down, like pre-Downton Abbey, Downton Abbey. Exactly. You know? Upstairs, downstairs. People, people like that, though, because it is interesting. It's like a contrast where you sort of mimic each other. I also thought at the Chateau, I thought they set the scene really well. So obviously, like, yeah, I think you're right that there's a lot of, like, behavior patterns upstairs and downstairs. I also just love some of the scenes, like, just how they were shot. Like, I love that there's a little bit of poetry and just that it's pouring down rain when everybody's arriving and running from the car. So it's kind of like, get in the house, mm-hmm. get in, like, they're, they're all, like, sh- shuffled into the house. It's like, here's where the plot's really going to happen, I felt. That was kind of neat. Um, there's sort of, there's sort of a little feeling of like that, that rain gave me a feeling of like, oh, like what's going to happen in the house? We all have to rush in here is going to be important. There's also like hints of danger. So there's obviously hints of infidelity as we've already talked about. There's also hints of danger. Like when they go hunting the next morning, everybody goes rabbit and quail hunting, which was also kind of graphic. It's just like black and white, just a lot of like dying rabbits and quail falling from the sky but i don't know whenever like a whole party goes out with guns you just kind of again it's a little hint too it's just like okay things might this may come up again and of course in the end andre is shot with with one of those rifles because we'll get to that um well we don't need to spoil i mean basically he he thinks lizette is 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 with someone but it's not Lizette it's Christine they were just off in the greenhouse at night for a talk all this jealousy ends in firearms basically but I kind of I like those hints as a filmmaker where he's hinting at the sexuality stuff but he's also hinting at like the house getting in there he's hinting at violence I just kind of thought it before because really I I see things as blowing up kind of on night two because everybody goes to separate bedrooms, everything's kind of civil the first day, first night. But then the next the next evening when they have the play, which is kind of surprising that wealthy people are just like ready to like perform and put on shows. It's kind of I don't know if that was farce or if that was part of French culture. That was kind of surprising to me like, oh, they're not hiring actors. They're all going to act and but it's kind of like during the madness of the play like 
like, you know, while everybody's sitting there fixated, that basically you have all the fist fights, all the accusations, all the the love mm-hmm. triangles crash. Yeah, I think that that's all true. And for that hunting scene, that, I think, is a super powerful scene. It's the midpoint of the movie, and it is very pathetic uh, when you look at it. They have these people come hit sticks against the trees, chase all the rabbits out into a concentrated area, then Te- they technical, shoot from their blinds. The okay. technical term, I just, I just want to... You've educated me so much. I want to just take my turn. I'd love to learn. I think that's called f- flushing out the prey. You flush. Right. Okay. When, yeah, and I'm just letting you know. Yeah. The scene feels like it goes on forever. Right. And I know that Renoir had a specific pacifism as a point of his... Um, you know, his moral code. And it really looks like they're killing those animals. I think they are. And there's one shot towards the end of a rabbit dying and suffering that is held on for so long. Oh, they film film it on purpose. They're like, watch. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, it just keeps going forever. And it's very tough to watch. I was watching with my roommate. She had to cover her eyes as these birds are dropping and these rabbits are you know, rolling to their death. And there's a scene where Lizette's like, Christine, do you like this? And she's like, "Uh, I don't know. Right. And it's this right-wing, criticism of a right-wing ambivalence towards violence, which you get a bit with Lizette's husband, Schumacher. Schumacher. Schumacher is how they were calling him. He looks like... uh... Did you see the movie? I haven't seen it. The Lighthouse. It's with Willem Dafoe. Oh, I haven't seen it. It's in black and white. I think it came out last year. But it look, he looks like Willem Dafoe in a way, kind of crazy. He's the yeah. game, the gamekeeper, I guess, or the groundskeeper. And he wants to kill Marceau immediately because when he finds he's, him poaching. Well, when he but then especially he poaches his wife. They are well, they're just running around the kitchen. Nothing happens, but it's enough to basically. Yeah. Turn into a gunfight. He's running around the party with a pistol, firing shots, which I found to be that's when farce. People, I mean, there, there's a lot of dialogue. Like, yeah, but when when the violence just just kind of unleashed, it's kind of this mix of as you're saying, it's a criticism of violence, but it's also farcical. It's never for sure grave, you know. Yeah, people are kind of not reacting to it the way that you would anticipate. They thought it was a show. Yeah. It is strange because on one level, he is not playing by the rules. He's brandishing a weapon, showing his overt feelings, being jealous to the max. But also, this is happening simultaneously while Giroux and Robert are having a fist fight. And then things are kind of spinning out of control. And he, and Marceau is running and hiding, and that's like the full farce effect. And it does feel like a play at that point the camera movement's awesome i think in a strange way it really feels both farcical and very realistic at the same time which is yeah it never gets so silly where you don't believe it right it is an accomplishment i always kind of yeah i felt like it was like a light view on real life it was never ridiculous you know it's not duck suit by the marx brothers you know right right i also felt like this is something i noticed um, with the farce, before people go to blows with their fists, before people start brandishing firearms, 
I noticed too how much dialogue started to take a turn for the worst. Um, even just in logical sense, you know, people, I remember there were these funny quotes like before, um, early on at the Chateau, I think it's a conversation between Robert and someone, but he, they basically say that's the awful thing about life is that everyone has their reasons. There's just, it just kind of names the yeah. fact like we're all, we're all, we're together in this community, but we're all kind of in this for different reasons. And that's kind of what's awful. You also have this funny thing. So when Genevieve, uh, Robert's lover, she like tries to convince him to run away first. I love the line where she's like, she's like, let's go, let's leave. And he's like, I live here. <laughs> like, where am I supposed to go? I'm the host. Um, the, just this breakdown of dialogue. And then she accuses him. She goes, you and your sense of property, <laughs> which is really funny. Like, <laughs> There's just kind of this, I find there's a lot of rash dialogue before there's ever rash violence. And I think that's true. Like, take take an, take an outside example. Like, I've always thought, like, even in sports, for instance, if a fight breaks out in, like, football or hockey, usually sometimes, like, there's this fascinating thing where the person needs to say something, like, yell an insult, then fight, then go to blows. And there's something here, too, about, like, it is the dialogue that first breaks down and just get sloppy. I mean, that even if you think of if this movie deals a lot with infidelity, which also begins in dialogue, you know, mm-hmm. they they start talking to each other. I just think it's. Um, I noticed that as just there was this, just all, all of this pleading going on of let's go here, let's go there. There's a lot of these confessions, and then afterwards consequences. But I, I do look at it as not just simply farce. It's also showing like. They may be in these circles having these conversations, but it's just, I think it's a big lesson of like words matter, you know, you can't just go to a party and talk and be fine. It's like words lead places, words of consequences. I picked up no, on that theme. I just wanted to tell you what I picked up on, you know, as a student. I think that makes a lot of sense. What did you think too of like some of the farcical stuff? Like what is the whole deal with the mechanics? Like he brings out that organ at the end, like that cheesy organ you'd find at Pittsburgh's Kennywood or some old amusement park. Like the Robert is obsessed with like mechanical birds and song boxes. And maybe that's just a random fad that they were reflecting in the movie. I was just like, what's this guy's deal? Yeah. I mean, I know that he's showing the mirror with Marceau that one presenting the calliope or the organ is is a scene where they had to reshoot it for two days just that one moment and i guess renoir said that the reaction of robert's face was maybe the best thing he's ever shot where it's this combination of pride and embarrassment that he was trying to capture out of robert and i'm not exactly sure what this tinkering does. But I imagine on some level, Robert is the best game player. And he almost almost plays the world like an engineer or a designer and a tinkerer. And I think that there is some level of this where you can start to treat people with this detached reality. Where rather than liking music or or animals you kill the animals and then you build these little mechanical versions of them you're there's shooting a- birds and you're making birds you're and there's a scene where everyone is or just a shot where everyone's watching this player piano go 
where they had just had a woman playing. And then this player piano is going, and everyone's just mystified by it, staring at it. And then there's this really kind of goofy, spooky Halloween dance where this guy puts on a skeleton costume and people run around with sort of pumpkin bodysuits. Yeah, that <laughs> was... They're my, wearing ghosts. Yeah, that was my ghosts. favorite scene. Thanks for laughing at it. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, some sure. of... Some part of, that, of me was like, it seemed like a fun party. but It seemed like a fun party, but some of it's a mix. I think it raises the question of technology. It's like, this is the 1930s. Technology is still something new, these things. And it's, yeah, they're, they're comparing, like, natural ways of theater or natural ways of sport or fun to, like, mm-hmm. these kind of gadgets. I don't, maybe it could be that simple. It's just, like, the rich were, like, into this new wave, which to us seems really silly. Um, but to, to them, it was like, we have the best stuff. They're showing off their big screen TV and his little mechanical organ, you know. I think that makes sense. Sort of a dick measuring competition, except with organ sizes. And one of the things is when Chumache starts shooting and going wild, he uh, that's the same point where the music box starts to go haywire. Right. So I think there is intended to be the way that the world and the game is played is mirroring the the mechanical. And I think that there is a society as mechanical on some level. One of the quotes that uh, I heard from an interview with Renoir's son was that he was a very 19th century, or he had a very 19th century sentiment to him. And one of the things that he saw in society and French life was that they had traded their joy for comfort. So in the embrace of comfort in this high society, people are no longer joyful. People are being able to sleep with sort of whoever they want so long as they play by a certain set of rules, but the joy of life is gone as they stand in their blinds and just fire casually at these animals and kill them and bicker over who's who had claim to that rabbit and oh he came into my area first then you stole him from me and all these kind of things there is a note of sadness in the end i mean so you you know we've watched the film but like it's there's an irony to it as well is like they want to uphold these rules of the game they want to uphold appearances even though they're living in a more wild and really a childish way um it's funny too because christine I'm actually surprised that she did this, but when she actually confesses to Andre, who, who, you know, the whole movie is him trying to win Christine back, even though they've been together very briefly. When she actually says, like, she tells him, let's run away together. Let's do it. Yes, I love you. And he's so happy. And he's like, oh, my gosh, I had lost hope. But, like, he has to have that five-minute talk with her husband. He's like, I'm not going to run away with you. We need to do this respectably. And that's when he actually says, those are the rules of the game. It's just like, we can't just do whatever we want. We can do that as long as we run it past the other players, you know. Mm -hmm. And I think it's really tragic, too, that he's the one that dies in the end, Andre. I mean, so obviously, like, Octave just to shift it was like first she goes from her husband she moves to andre and then octave confesses like even though he's the older brother to everybody he's the one dressed up in the bear suit playing the fun role 
you know, almost everybody's uncle. It's like he's actually in love with her, and she's like, I love you too. They run off to the greenhouse. But that's kind of weird too, right? It's like he also gets tripped up by the rules of the game because as much as Octave would want to run away with her and he's like, I'm too old, she's like, doesn't matter, you know, let's do this. He goes back, Why do he, they go to the greenhouse at night. I mean, he has that sad moment too where like he's pretending yeah. to conduct on the front porch, the orchestra, but he never got to actually be a conductor. So he talks about, you know, there's, a, there's that actually really sober speech, like his life has been a failure, except for a few friends that have held him up. He would be a total failure. And like, I like that his character, because he's so fun, he's so lively, he's actually trying to create order for all of these people. He's trying to like make things work. He's actually, he's actually not playing the game. He's one of the only ones who's just kind of supervising the whole movie. But Octave, in the end... He, he does, because of his sense of failure, because of his sense of loneliness, he, he gets into the game, he wants to run away with Christine, he confesses his love for her, but he goes back to get like a coat, right? Or like a, a coat yeah. and a hat. And when he goes back to get the coat in the lobby, I think he has a moment of conscience where he sees Andre, and instead he sends Andre back to Christine. I don't, I don't think it was out I of like... I think it's Lizette. Lizette convinces him. Or is that the moment? Sorry to interrupt. No, go for it. I forget exactly. Lizette is like, you couldn't provide for her. She expects a certain level of living. Right. What, what are you guys going to do? What do you do? And and he's like, all right, I'll send Andre. But it was also, he was trying to help her and Andre connect in the beginning. So he's like, back to the rules of the game, back to my role. I'm going to send Andre. Who gets who gets shot by Chumache accidentally thinks it's his wife he's running to meet it's not it's christine i do have to say some of my favorite parts of this film are schumacher and marceau teaming up after schumacher spent the whole second act chasing him around with a gun you like that they matched up i do i think it's there was something that felt very shakespearean about it to me where I mean, this is part of what we talked about, this being one of the farcical elements where he literally goes from killing him to teaming with him within just like five minutes, and it's a very sharp and quick break. But you sort of buy it because Chumache's crying, and Marceau's like, yeah, I got fired, I have nothing now. We both lost the same girl. And And it's basically this coat is the whole reason that they get confused, which Chumache gave to Lisette earlier, and she is like, it's not flattering. Right. I guess it's it's just kind of emotionally conflicting, and I guess that's what a farce does. It's like these are presented as real people, but it's also farcical. Like even in the end, when Andre dies and Robert on the porch, you know, he gathers all the important people that were never mixed in, like the general and others, and he's like... Mm -hmm. You know, there was an accident. It's unfortunate. We'll do the burial tomorrow. But it's just kind of like, yeah, some something happened, and we'll just move on with life. And nobody's punished for it, you know, which I don't think is merciful. It's just kind of a farce, you know. And so I always feel torn by this. I like the movie a lot, um, but I felt torn between, like, should I take this seriously or not, you know. Maybe that's the point. Although uh, Octave, in the end, who I think is kind of one of the main characters, I mean, he's the director too, he kind of goes back kind of a little bit deflated, right? He ends the movie um, sort of burned by the whole thing. 
Like he is he is the fun guy. He's the organizer. He's the one pulling strings and he kind of just retires in the end. Yeah. Yeah, I think he sees the farce for what it is. And maybe that as a as an actor and as a director is kind of not a full conclusion, but that's kind of his brief conclusion is like so I guess this is what it is. This is how it yeah. winds up. Just kind of it's just kind of a fun it's a sad ending to a farce. That's definitely true. The last line of the film is another line by the general who we haven't discussed yet, but throughout the film, the general is like, oh, so charismatic. It's rare these days. And just describing anyone's behavior as rare these days. And that's how it ends. Just him describing, I think it is robert or the or someone being noble is the general like the old guard that doesn't realize what's going on it's just like oh look at these kids they're great it's almost like they're keeping up appearances and to him he sees just the appearances i think that's right whereas he doesn't know what's going on underneath their society like the old guard was like they didn't just there's kind of a criticism of the old guard in him you know definitely so long as people keep up appearances, you don't have to look too far beneath the surface to see what the actual the actual substance is. Like when Robert first greets Giroux and Christine gives that speech about, you know, we were really good friends, but that's it, and we're happy to have him here. And the general really loved that speech, even though people were standing by gossiping. Right. Um, should we give our final takes? Or yeah, yeah. We we have a few minutes. Um, I guess what I take away from it is like this may not be the most profound takeaway, but for a movie from the 1930s in black and white, I used to say, you know, I struggle with black and white films, and I guess maybe I still do. I'm um, I'm a big fan of modern cinema too, and fast paced and all that stuff, and big color shots you know but i'm i'm continually impressed as we watch some of these films um how well shot they are how well paced they are how interesting the dialogue is um i found this movie to like be very engrossing like i wouldn't say it was the most profound movie and and i related to it only partially because it's talking kind of about society in that time i related to all the characters to varying degrees but I guess my, my main takeaway is, is kind of it's more of a reflection on cinema of that era. And I'm like, wow, there's some really great stuff that I probably just didn't respect enough. Um, and I know that's abstracting from, from this film, but that's my growing. Those are my feelings as uh, right now. That's how I'm feeling this morning. Yeah, I think what I'm taking from this film is this sense of society and these rules that we feel beholden to and that we accept and limit our behavior to and the absurd decisions that we make because of the air we breathe socially and politically and the ways in which our ideals can be empty and limiting. You can claim to want love, but ultimately it ends up in these whimsical occasions that leave people unhappy you can want freedom or wealth or these animal trophies but or these toys but these things aren't super meaningful 
it's kind of it's kind of self self critical like it doesn't say clearly they would have been better off in their society if they would have stuck with the rules of the game and had this like aristocratic rigid society and it's not sure that they're better off breaking those rules it's kind of there's some self-doubt i feel in renoir Mm -hmm. saying like we're taking a second approach to happiness not like our forefathers did but we're just not sure of the results. I think that's like there's a proper self-doubt, which I think is really healthy. I don't think it's depressing to be like we humans yeah. don't exactly have it all figured out, even when we have huge cultural shifts. And that's worth doing a movie on. Yeah, when you get to the when you get to be the high point of your society, and then you get to the top of the mountain, and then realize that it's empty. And I keep coming back to that moment of Octave going to direct conduct the orchestra and then just having a snap where he drops his face drops and he just sits down and he's crushed where it's one of the first times someone took an honest look at themselves in the reality i don't know if you just hit a home run or you just struck out but whatever it was that was a final statement that was it so i'm either a fool or a god (laughs) good luck with both so we'll keep chugging along what final statements? What are you supposed to say on a podcast? We're supposed to rank them, right? Oh, right. Are we I'm, doing that? I, I'm going to rank... I mean, just, this is a top-class film for me. I think it's top-class, but I, I still think what might apply more universally is in La Dolce Vita, and I'm biased for two reasons. Three reasons. I think Italian's a prettier language. It actually gets hard to listen to the French, the whole film. My second <laughs> reason is that... Um, I think the whole comment on like not only nightlife but media and journalism, I think that applies from La Dolce Vita more still today. And I just felt a little more um like it was it was just a film that was it's just a better film, La Dolce Vita. But I will say this, with Octave, I sympathized more with him as a character than anybody in La Dolce Vita. Um it was it was more heart based rather than just pure commentary. But still I'm going with the, with the Italian film number one. I think I have to agree with you. Excellent. I knew you would. Yeah. The, I felt more transported in La Dolce Vita. Although there was something about the rules of the game that almost made me miss us doing plays back in high school. I There's agree with some that. some energy of both the presentation of them literally doing plays for each other and wearing bear suits and but the different But the different characters they act as, yeah. It was a Beaver Hills, or what was it Beaver Falls Playhouse? Brook Hills. Brook Hills. What am I saying? Brook, Brook Hills, Hills Playhouse. Out yeah, in the country. There's some feeling of that. Almost a noises off, which, sorry to throw noises off in at the last second, but... Yeah. I'm glad we watched. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, thanks for spending some time with us. This is us. This is you. This, this is us. Is-